Father God in heaven, we praise you and thank you for the firm foundation you have laid for us in your excellent word. We praise you for the Psalms, for Psalm 136. Um, Lord, please, would you speak to us through it tonight? Please, by your Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. Please, would you change us by your word now? In Jesus' name, amen. I love the summer um, because I get to go on holiday, which is quite nice. I'll go back to Belfast um, for a little bit. And uh, also, I love the summer because over the summer, you tend to get a lot of films coming out in the cinema. You get a lot of the summer blockbusters, don't you? I always look forward to that. And on my holidays is one of the few times when I get to go to the cinema because, you know, we've got the grandparents there in Belfast and we just ship the kids off and head out and see a film, which is quite nice. Normally, um, when I get one of those rare opportunities, I do not go and see a rom-com <laughs> because I, I don't particularly like them. I don't think they're very good films. Um, the, my my favourite one's probably The Devil Wears Prada. I think that's, a quite, that's quite a good one. As, as rom-coms go, like, that's all right. Um, but what I don't like th- about them is that they follow a very definite formula, don't they? It's sort of boy meets girl, they start to get on quite well, then something happens which makes it look a bit uncertain, um, but then it all comes good in the end, doesn't it? You know, they always end up um, together. Now, I think what, they, what rom-coms get right is the uncertainty part, the uncertainty of romantic love in that, in that situation. But what I think they they get wrong, what I think is unrealistic, is that everything always works out in the end. That everyone always gets the love that they want or that they need. And everyone goes home happy. Because if we try and apply that kind of formula to our lives, well, it, it just doesn't work, does it? And not even just in the context of romantic love. It can be in in other kinds of of human love. Let's call it human love. It can come and go. It seems to change with emotions. It seems to be based on feelings. To to use romantic love as an example, um, adultery is the most common cause of divorce in the UK, where one partner feels that they don't love the other as as they once did and goes to look for love elsewhere. Or maybe they don't feel loved by the other partner as they once did and so they go and look for that love elsewhere. Now that's followed closely by uh, a lack of preparation and excessive arguing. There's two reasons for um, divorce where the couple have quite a rough time in marriage and think, well... We mustn't love each other anymore, so we'll get divorced. Or maybe outside the the confines of um, romantic love, there's family love, isn't there? Now, I'm sure all of us have families, but many of us will have difficult family uh, relationships. The ones which should be the easiest and the most loving can often be the hardest and the most painful. I wonder if that's your experience, either from the romantic love point of view or from the family love point of view. And that made me think about the question this week, 
How do you know when someone loves you? How do you know when you're loved? And I was thinking about this, and I went to the, the most reasonable source of an answer which I could think of, which was Google. I went to look on the internet to see how do I know if someone loves me, so I typed this into Google, and rather embarrassingly, Andy walked in at the time, <laughs> and he gave me a great big hug and said, Ross, you know I love you, you know I love you. <laughs> but when I, when I Googled this, I got all sorts of hilarious answers, and me and Andy had a good laugh at some of them um, in the office. Most of the articles that I came across seemed to be saying things like, X number of ways that you know someone can love you. And they got to sort of all kinds of hilarious numbers. You know, it started off as three ways, and I thought, that's quite good. And then we had seven ways, then there was 11 ways, then there was 23, then there were 70 ways that you can know that someone loves you. And I thought, that's just too many ways. I, you know, I, I, can't, I can't keep track of all these, these, these criteria to look out for to know if someone loves me. Um, and eventually I came back across the Love Languages website. Have you come across Love Languages before? This chap, um, Dr. Gary Chapman, um, he reckons there are five main love languages, ways that you know someone loves you or that someone can show you that they love you. Right? There are words of affirmation, there's quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. Now, you can do a quiz on the website to find out what yours are. I did the quiz and found out that mine are quality time and physical touch. So if you want to show me that you love me, you can take me out for a coffee and give me a big hug as well. That would be quite nice. But it, it, this, this got me thinking about Psalm 136, because there are five ways, according to Gary Chapman, to express your love for someone. And what we'll see from Psalm 136 is that There are five of God's love languages in here. Five ways in which he expresses his love. We'll see that God's love endures, that it lasts forever. That there's no uncertainty with God's love. And that when God speaks these five love languages, well, we should be changed in our hearts. We should be moved to thanksgiving and praise. Love language number one is God himself. God reveals his love in himself. Look at verse one of Psalm 136. It's on page 626. Um, if you've uh, closed your Bibles, don't worry, I'll not ask you to uh, read his love in yours forever. Again, after every verse, let's look at verse one. It says this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. Now, there are three titles for God there. Did you notice them? The first is the Lord. That's God's covenant name, Yahweh. Anytime you see Lord in capital letters, that's God's covenant name, Yahweh, being translated um, in the Bible. And for God's people singing this psalm, Immediately, that says to them, this is about God who loves us and who is faithful to us and who is good. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Also, you'll notice it says, give thanks to the God of gods and the Lord of lords. 
two titles for God which appear first in Deuteronomy 10, that uh, place Andy took us at the beginning of the service. These names for God tell us what God is like. What did he do? Andy was talking about how um, this great God of the universe, the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he cares for the weakest, the most vulnerable. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. For the alien, gives them food and, uh, and clothing. God loves um, the vulnerable. Now that is to say that as we get to know God, well, we get to know that he is a God of love. That he is love. And since we're reading this through the lens of the New Testament, well, we know that God is love because he is Trinity. Because he is three persons in one God. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, who we've been singing about um, tonight, all share love for one another in God himself. That's how God can show love in himself because he is love. Couldn't be love if he wasn't Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He wouldn't have love to share. He would be dependent on our love. But God, because he is love in himself, can share his love with us. That's the first way God reveals his love. It's in his own character. As we get to know God, we get to know his love. And what does the psalm say? Well, his, is this the kind of love that we were thinking about earlier? That you need 70 ways to, to recognize? Is it the kind of rom-com love or the Valentine's Day kind of love? Well, no. His love endures forever. It's not hot and cold kind of love. It's not dependent on how God is feeling. He wakes up one day, he's not feeling that great, so he doesn't really love us anymore. No, that's not what God's like. His love endures forever. If you see the word, the word love translated here, right throughout the psalm, is the word hesed, which is God's covenant love. The love with which he has promised to love his people forever. Or to put it in the words of the Jesus Storybook Bible, which I like to read with my little boys, it's God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's quite a nice way to put it, isn't it? God's enduring love. And how are we to respond to this? Well, we're to give thanks. The psalmist is really helpful and he tells us what to do. I need those kind of instructions. He says it three times. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords because his love endures forever. And it's not just at the start. This, this runs right throughout the psalm. It could be uh, in verse 4. Give thanks to him who does great wonders. In verse 10, give thanks to him who struck down. In verse uh, 13, give thanks to him. In verse 16, to him, give thanks to him who led his people. In verse 23, to the one who remembered us in our lower state. In verse 26, give thanks to the God of heaven. The only way to respond to God's love is never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking always and forever love is to give thanks, loving thanks. Love language number two. God creates everything. Sometimes when I'm uh, running 
kids' clubs, on uh, the youth groups here. Um, if you know me, you'll know I'm the youth worker. Um, this a question the, the boys and girls ask me is, why did God make the world? And I think, gosh, you're a deep thinker for a nine-year-old. Um, but it's a good question, isn't it? Why did God make the world? Well, look at, at verse 4. To him who alone does great wonders, who by his understanding made the heavens, who spread the earth out on the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, the moon and stars to govern the night. His love endures forever. Creation itself is an expression of God's love. He created out of the overflow of his love to demonstrate his love. He didn't have to create anything. He could have existed perfectly in himself and still had this great love. But he created as an expression of his enduring love. So that means that when, when we see the stars at night, when we see the northern lights dancing across the sky, when we see the beauty of, of Hampstead Heath, when we see the, the great creatures and wonders of the world, the mighty blue whale swimming through the ocean, or um, the, the tiny little bumblebee bat. Have you ever seen one of those? It's the smallest bat you can get. It sits on the end of your finger. And it's this tiny little mammal with little lungs and little heart and everything. That's amazing. When we see all of that, the burning intensity of the sun, the cool of the moon, it's all, it's all to show us God's enduring love. Well, these great wonders are, are a sign of God's love to us. But also, the fact that they endure is a sign of his love to us. Do you see that in, in the psalm? His love endures forever. And so creation enduring and not disappearing and not blowing up, the fact that I'm still here and I can still breathe and I can go to sleep tonight and it will be another day tomorrow, the sun will come up and the days will turn into months and the seasons will change. This summer, which has been particularly nice and warm, will turn into autumn, which will turn into winter, which will turn into spring, which will turn into summer again. And this will continue and keep going round and around as long as God is God and the earth exists. That is showing God's enduring love um, to us. It keeps on enduring because God promised that it would. He covenanted with Noah that the earth would continue to exist. So as long as God's love endures, the earth will endure as well. Love language number three. God redeems his people from slavery. Now, at this stage, the psalmist has been giving us kind of a broad overview of here's God and creation. He's created everything. This, this all shows us God's love. But now he zooms in on God's people in particular and how his love is expressed for them specifically. Look at verse 10. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it, but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea his love endures forever. God's third love language is redemption. 
Now, I'm sure this is a story which most of us will be um, familiar with. The children in our kids' clubs this morning were learning about this, how God's people were enslaved in Egypt and how God rescued them through mighty works and brought them out of Egypt. He, he redeemed them. He bought them back from slavery. How on the night of the Passover, he struck down the firstborn of all the Egyptians, but kept his people safe by the blood of the Lamb. How he led them out of Egypt and then crushed his enemies beneath the waves. He did that out of love for his people. Not because they were particularly impressive or because they were particularly faithful to him, but because he had promised to do so. Because he had covenanted with them. Because he had said that his love was always going to endure for them. See, the redemption of God's people Israel shows us God's love. But just as God redeemed his people in Egypt from slavery, well, so too he has redeemed us, those who have believed in Jesus, from slavery to sin through Jesus' death and resurrection. That's how God has showed this covenant love to us. However, there's still punishment for God's enemies. And you might wonder, well, how, how can this loving God still be a God of, of wrath? And the answer is that it's loving of God to punish his enemies. It was loving of God to punish the Egyptians because they were oppressing his people. He rescued them out of this oppressive slavery. And it was loving of God to punish the, the evil captors. And it is loving of God to punish sin. It was loving of him to do so uh, through Jesus on the cross so that we could be redeemed from slavery to sin. And it will be loving of God to punish those who have rejected him. You see, God's redemption of, of believers from sin and his Enduring punishment is a sign of God's enduring love. Love language number four. God gives an inheritance to his people. Look at verse 16. To him who led his people through the desert, who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his servant Israel. <clears throat> After God had brought his people out from slavery in Egypt, he didn't just say, all right, lads, you're rescued now, off you go, you know, have a good time, call me if you need anything, all right? You know, no, he didn't, he didn't say that. But he led them through the wilderness. He defeated their enemies. He killed the, these mighty kings and took their land and gave it to his people as an inheritance. The land that he had promised to give to them, he delivered to them. And that is a sign of God's enduring love, that he did that for his people. And so too, in Jesus, does God give believers an inheritance with him in heaven 
Not in a, a physical land. God hasn't promised me a particular plot in Hampstead. That's not why I'm here. But he gives his people an inheritance with him in heaven forever. So that means that in Christ, we have an inheritance, a place in God's kingdom, which can never be taken away, can never perish, can never spoil, it can never fade. It cannot be, be taken or snatched from us by armies or enemies. It's an inheritance which is always secure. See, God shows his enduring love for us in giving us this inheritance to look forward to, a place in his kingdom forever. That means that if life is particularly hard now, it's not because God doesn't love us. It means that if, if something is happening in your life right now that you think, I, I'm, just, I'm not sure if God is still a God of love. I'm not sure if God still loves us. It means that you've got something to look forward to. It means that you know that God does still love you. That God's love for you will endure forever. And that he will give you that inheritance, that place with him in his kingdom forever. It means that you can keep going. You can keep on enduring because God's love endures. Love language number five. God's humble care for the lowly. Look at verse 23. To the one who remembered us in our lowest state and freed us from our enemies, who gives food to every creature, his love endures forever. Now after God's people had been brought into the land that God had promised to give them, after they'd settled in their inheritance, they began to sin. And just as God had promised them would happen, they were exiled from the land. They were taken away from their inheritance. They were of low estate. They they were away from their estate. They were away from their inheritance. Do you see? They were sent into exile. And to them, it, they might have been tempted to say, well, God has forgotten us. He has forgotten his love for us. He's forgotten his promises to us. We're away from the land he promised to give us. We're not in God's kingdom anymore. We're not a people anymore because we're scattered. We're in exile now. But actually, verse 23 says that that's not the case. To the one who remembered us in our lowest state when they were in exile, he freed them from their enemies. He cared for his people through the exile and brought them back. He freed them from their captors in Babylon. He did not forget them. He remembered them and returned them to their inheritance. Now, you fast forward... Um, a couple of thousand years, and God is still the same. This love is still enduring. He still cares for those of low estate. In our New Testament reading earlier, we read that God shows his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That Jesus went to the cross for those of low estate. Jesus went to the cross to free us from the enemies of sin and death and the devil. 
And he didn't do it because we were particularly impressive. He didn't say, there's Ross, he, he's a good guy. I'm going to die on the cross for him. No, he remembered us when we were in low estate. He did it for those who are lowly, who are sinful and who couldn't free themselves. He did it to show God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Now he cares for his people in this specific way. He cared for the lowly, the sinners, by dying on the cross and inviting everyone who believes to have a place in God's kingdom. But he also cares for the lowly of all creation. Do you see that in verse 25? He gives food to every creature. This magnificent God of the universe. The God of gods. The Lord of lords. The one who does great wonders. The one who created everything. Who struck down Pharaoh and his people's enemies with mighty works and an outstretched arm. The one who has promised this inheritance. He cares for the tiniest of creatures. The the little bumblebee bat. He is the one who, who feeds that creature, who cares for that creature. That is a sign of God's, God's love, God's enduring love that he cares for and sustains all creation. God's enduring love is expressed in his, care for the, in his humble care for the lowly. So what are we to do? Well, we're to give thanks. We're to give thanks to this God. Look at verse 26. Give thanks to the God of heaven because his love endures forever. Because of these five love languages, because God has revealed this amazing, enduring love to us, we should give thanks to God. Everyone is to give uh, thanks to him, both those who are God's people and those who aren't because all benefit from God's love. If you are here and you've not yet trusted in Christ, well, know that you're already dependent on God's love. You're already experiencing God's love, so why not experience it in this full way by accepting what Jesus has done? But for those of us who are um, trusting in Christ, normally I, when I hear a sermon like this uh, about giving thanks, an application like this about, yeah, we should give thanks to God for what he has done, well, I normally think, yeah, cool, that's cool, Ross. You know, I'll... I'll, I'll be more grateful, you know? And then about five minutes after I've walked out the door, I'm complaining about something, or I, I, I'm wishing for something I didn't have, or I'm annoyed about something massively insignificant. And the problem is that I, I always imagine that, well, giving thanks just means saying thank you. That gratitude is, is just that. It's just saying thank you and then getting on with it. But actually, God's enduring love should lead us to changed lives. It should lead us to changed hearts out of gratitude. Because it means we're loved completely. We're loved fully. We're loved in an enduring way which far outstrips any human love that can disappoint us. Let me give you an example of how this works. When Jesus was having dinner at a Pharisee's house, a sinful woman came up and poured this expensive oil on his head. She washed his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair and was kissing his feet. 
Now, the Pharisee who was there was thinking, well, does he know that she's a sinful woman, that she's doing this? She's someone of low estate. He should be concerned with me, someone very impressive who's kept all the rules, someone of of good estate, of good standing with God. And Jesus knew this. And he said, actually, she's the one who's loved me most. Because she is the one who knew what she had been forgiven for. She's the one who had experienced God's enduring love. You see, the Pharisee thought that he deserved God's love. He thought he had done something to earn it. And that's why he wasn't grateful for it. Because he thought it was his right to be loved. But actually, God is the one who loves those of low estate. He cares for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the alien. He feeds them. He provides for them. And God and Jesus said that she is the one who loved him, not the Pharisee. She was the one who is most grateful for his love. And it's the same in Psalm 136, isn't it? See, if we, if we think, if we just see God's love, um, or if, if we just think that, that the application of this is to, to be more grateful, well then, we've missed the entire point of the, the psalm. Actually, when we see God's love expressed through these five love languages, our lives will be changed. If we feel God's love for us, we will overflow with thanksgiving and love for God. When we, when we experience God in himself, the love that he has in the, the relationship of the Father to the Son and to the Spirit and their love that they have within themselves, well, we, our lives will be changed by that love. When we consider God's mighty wonders, his great wonders in creation, like the blue whale and the little bumblebee bat and Hampstead Heath and the stars and the sun and the moon and all those things and the fact that they don't go away and they keep going, well, our hearts will be changed by God's enduring love. When we consider the redemption that God has, has brought for us, that he has brought us back from slavery to sin at the cost of his own son, well, our hearts will be changed. When we look forward to the inheritance that God has stored up for us in heaven, our hearts will be changed. When we remember that actually God is the one who loved us, who were of low estate, who, when he died for us on the cross and rose again, well, our hearts will be changed so that they overflow with thanksgiving and with love for God. Now, I'll, I'll pray, and then we'll have the, begin, the opportunity to, to begin to respond to what God has done for us. We're going to sing this psalm in a minute. We're going to give thanks to God and praise him for his enduring love. But the real place that this, change, that this should change us is when we leave through those doors at the back. It's when we wake up tomorrow morning. Will we remember to, to give thanks to God? Well, the only way that we can do that, this kind of, of life-changing gratitude, is to continue meditating on and thinking about these things. It's to continue to consider God's great love for us, express in these things. That is how our hearts will be changed.
and we'll avoid just going out thinking, I must be more grateful. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we give you much thanks for the way you have revealed your enduring love to us. Praise you, Lord, that you are love in yourself. That you have shared that love with us, those who were of low estate, those who did not deserve your love. We praise you, Lord, that you've created and that you sustain, that you've redeemed and that you've promised a great inheritance for us with you forever. Father God, we love you. We thank you for what you've done uh, for us.